with entrepreneurship, it's a long grind. And so I'm learning that there's some sort of like big achievement moment that can happen and that it's less about the big achievement moment that you're shooting for and more about the general effectiveness or workability of this thing that you're trying to build and bring out into the world. It's like the impact that you make is not personal. You see it in the world and that takes time. That's one of the things I've had to unlearn is the immediacy of results. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast, where host Barry O'Reilly seeks to synthesize the superpowers of extraordinary individuals to think big, start small, and learn fast. Here's your host, Barry O'Reilly. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast. On this show, I'm delighted to be joined by Adam Bragg, a professional pole vaulter turned entrepreneur with a love for building and growing businesses. Now, I have the pleasure of working with Adam every day at Nobody Studios as a colleague and fellow Nobody. He's a passion for building, for launching, and getting things into customers' hand at speed. He's never afraid to ideate and loves seeing the effects of when we come up with great innovations and see what they perform. He himself has started many venture-backed businesses over time in the healthcare space, and most recently had the viral success with CatGBT, the sassiest cat on the internet, inspired by large learning models that you can start to learn and play around with yourself. It's phenomenal to see the work that he's doing in the studio as our launch manager for so many businesses he's having an effect on. But before we dive into what he's doing today, let's get back to how it actually really started for him. I was a pretty high-level trampolinist. I competed at three world championships, and it's actually an Olympic sport. I don't know if anybody's, any of your listeners have seen trampoline, but it's pretty fun. You do 10 tricks in a row. And they judge you based on how hard they are and how pretty you make them look. So I was doing that since I was three years old, probably. My older sister was in a gymnastics gym and it was a pretty high level gymnastics gym. I was training under this Ukrainian coach, Nikolai Doroshenko. He had coached two Olympic gold medalists in women's gymnastics, Tatiana Gutsu, and he was very intense. I remember being in the first grade, waking up at five, five thirty to go to practice before school, having an hour and a half in the gym, you know, with only half the lights on doing routines. But one of the things that I remembered during that process was he taught me how to visualize, how to visualize the moment before it happened. So he would sit me down at the edge of the trampoline and I would think, and he would say, visualize this routine 10 different times in your head. And if you fail 10 different times in your head, don't make those same mistakes when you actually do the routine. So a lot of my time in the morning was kind of spent quietly meditating about this future event that's going to happen, doing 10 different iterations of it before it actually goes into play, before you're doing triple flips and a bunch of twists and everything like that. So I kind of had that same process over my trajectory of life. I've been applying that same kind of like visualize the future moment and try to work your way backwards into constructing it. So it might seem like a lot of zigs and zags. You know, I think deeply intuitive, there was some method to all of it. Yeah, well, this is fascinating stuff. I can even see as you're describing it, like you're lighting up, you very fond memories of that. You can tell it's obviously instilled a method within you that you have found almost universal for everything that you do, like this power of visualization and focus. So what were like one or two of the little hacks that you've learned as you've started to apply that to yourself? Obviously, you're sort of conditioned to this as you say, from an early age, I'm sure you've sort of refined it as you sort of go along. So 
like for people who might think about that type of a method, what would be some tips you'd have for them to start applying it? Or maybe how have you used it yourself? The universality of it is an important bit. In the pole vault, for example, I bring up the next sports metaphor. It's a very high action event. It's a very climactic event. You're running full speed with a 17 foot long pole that is fiberglass and you're not sure if it's going to bend the right way and you hope that it's going to shoot you, you know, 19 feet in the right direction. There's a moment right before you take off where it's kind of a, an all in or else kind of moment. Yeah, I imagine. Yeah. I've seen those pole boats break and people fall and yeah, like it's a very exciting to watch. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like a Cirque du Soleil event. It's very acrobatic and a lot of coordination. At the high levels, it's all mental. So how much do you believe that you can bring and transfer the force into this pole, trusting this implement to throw you in the right direction? And so there's a moment where all of the little in- doubts or insecurities pop up right before you put the pole into the box to do it. And the kinds of thoughts that pop up, you would think are about sport or about pole vaulting, but generally kind of look foolish walking out of the bathroom with that toilet paper on your shoe, you know, like (laughs) right before you came out here. So those little thoughts come up. And so I kind of learned pretty early in pole vaulting, you can't compartmentalize the method with which you bring, you have to apply it across the board. So I would try to apply it to my academics. I'm applying those same types of things to company building and launching. And it's just that process of like visualizing something before it happens, appreciating what's about to happen and then going and executing that thing and then learning from it afterwards. So over and over and over again. That's such a super insight. It's fascinating, right? We had someone on the podcast very recently that the focus was on learning fear. It was actually one of the most popular shows we've had in like the last six months. Like so many people were fascinated by this idea of fear and unlearning it. But even as I listen to you sort of talk about this practice, if you will, of like the visualization, that moment before the key moment where you're like stepping into this unknown, what's going to happen here? I have to like fully commit to this. Or if I hesitate, that can actually have a huge effect on the outcome that I'm shooting for. And then the process after it, as you say, of like the reflection of what happened in that sequence, did it work out? But how do I improve it? It's a lot of work mentally on yourself to prepare and to recognize when you're going to hit those experiences and those feelings and those moments. In the great thing about sport, and hopefully in startups, is you get to do it again and again and again. It's a muscle that you can sort of build and improve. As you become more familiar to where you're just sticking the pole in or I'm just about to launch this business. What do people think of it? Like, whatever it is, right? But, you know, you've practiced it and you're ready for it. You expect it. Talk a little bit as you sort of started to transition this into your, if you will, like entrepreneurial type world where you had learned this fantastic method and exposed yourself to it in athletics. But then you really transferred that into the business domain because you've founded or been part of two venture-backed startups. Obviously, a key member of Nobody Studios now. So share a little bit about as you started to try and transfer, if you will, some of the lessons that you learned in high-performance athletics into business. What were some of the things that started to strike you as you went down that path? That's a good question. So I graduated from school in 2016 and went to the Real Olympic Trials, and then I was training for four years for the Tokyo Games. 
you know, competing professionally. And I had a lot of time. I didn't have school to take care of. You can only train for so long throughout the course of a day. So after about five or six hours, maybe sometimes, maybe two on any given day, you have the rest of the day to unwind and relax, really prepare for the next physical session. But I was really looking for a lot of mental stimulation through the process. And so I started picking up interests and exploring them. I got a lot of access to people because I was training for the Olympic games. And so I could call anybody up and really just be curious and learn about their industry and learn about the problems that they were experiencing. I really was just curious about what I should be getting into with my background in history and narrative building. And what I realized was how powerful leverage could be in business, you know, as you have a podcast and we record this one time and thousands, tens of thousands, millions of people can watch this with one unit of work. And so the same is true with, with building technology companies. And I thought there were some really cool intersections between narrative and technology that could really build on itself. And so I went through the process of learning or through the process of saying, what is it, where is it that I want to go? What is the impact that I'd like to have? We've done a session together with a couple of the, the new co's at the studio where we really have outcome-driven planning and how do you measure the success of those things. And so constructing them at the very beginning, starting from really no knowledge at all into going into education, going into healthcare, and then now with the studio, launching businesses in all different kinds of sectors and learning each unit of work along the way, what the processes are. So like taking the same process of visualization of what the business could be, of what the mission and vision could become when it's an actualizing business and then launching and then actually going through the process of saying, all right, go, it's now. Yeah, it's so funny, even as you were speaking there, especially talking about defining outcomes, Part of the technique of writing great outcomes is visualizing what is the success going to be in one to two years time? What are people going to be doing with this product? How are they going to be interacting with it? How will the team be different with it? How will the stakeholders be different? And trying to identify those changes in behavior that whatever you create, the effect it's going to have in the world and describing them so you can ultimately measure them and model them. So it's so fascinating, even when I think about you talking about sitting down with your Ukrainian gymnast teaser, he's like, visualize the success that you're going to be having. Like, how are you doing it? How many turns? Where are you putting your weight? It's fascinating how these things sort of transfer, if you will, into like different aspects about like you're describing the success you're aiming to have and you're just trying to quantify it, write it down. So when people ask you like, why are you building this company? You can say, well, we want 50% of venture capital firms to use our tool to evaluate intellectual property with the adjacent possible, one of our companies, right? And instantly people can go, oh, I can visualize what that looks like. And then the launch, if you will, like the takeoff moment of your pole vault is like building the activities, the effort to put that into the world. It's always fun to sort of think about as you say, like these universal methods that you're learning in different domains and transferring them into different guise, it's a fun way to sort of think about the world, but also for people to see these are transferable skills. They're methods that show up again and again and again that you're practicing almost instinctively at this stage. So tell us a little bit about some of the companies then. Like it's always fun to dive in. 
What were some of the first one or two companies that you picked up yourself that you were like, got excited about through your curiosity? And another great person, Gabe Biddle, who was chief private officer at Netflix, and he's been on the show, he's a great mentor. He always talks about having intellectual pursuits. Like they're really, really important to have them. You obviously were doing some of those. So where did those lead you and some of the, the products that you started to play around with? Well, I would love it after this to come back to that point about the visualization, bringing the imagination into reality and putting something in front of somebody that makes them go, aha, that's what you meant rather than just abstract conversation. But the first intellectual pursuits, I came into Princeton as an engineer and I thought, all right, I'm going to do engineering and I'm going to jump high. And that's what my schooling is going to be about. I realized that the history department at Princeton was really, really good. And I'd grown up watching the History Channel and the Discovery Channel and just really loving narratives as it pertains to anthropology, humans, science, like that narrative-driven exercise was something that I, I kind of fell in love with after my first couple of classes at Princeton. So throughout school, I was like learning how to build narrative. And that was like a big intellectual pursuit of mine. I wrote a thesis at the end of my senior year. And then afterwards, it was like, how do I apply this narrative-driven exercise muscle that I have exercised to something a bit bigger? And so the first couple of things that I put out were, you know, academic related. I was very intellectually curious and I was struggling professional pole vaulter in the early days of his professional career, trying to get a shoe contract. And so I did tutoring and I tutored a student across all of his classes. And I saw a pretty big need for a single point of contact for a student who could assume all of the coursework and tutoring across their entire class load. So I'd started connecting more recent grads of Princeton and Ivy League schools with students who needed that kind of holistic support. And I realized, oh, what if you put some technology around this and allowed tutors to more or less make it like there is a single point of contact, even if you have individualized tutors, what might that look like? And then going into the first venture-backed company that I had was converting hotels into college campuses for students who learned online. And that was about how do you unbundle the college experience from the education and the diploma that you get? And then how do you value that? If you can separate it into three separate parts, how do you value each disparate part? And then I got into saying, how can I use my history degree from you know other things? How do people co-locate? I had a company called Intersections that was allowing people in apartment complexes to meet each other more easily. And then I have a company called Hello Legacy, which records one-on-one -on -one video interviews with seniors, just recapping their life and then categorizing it sort of like an anthology of their life. So there's a lot of fun intellectual pursuits. And I'm a very curious person by nature. And being at the studio is like a playground for me because I can lash onto ideas. I can build new ones and see all of it across the board. So I'm having a good time at the studio. It is a fun place. Nobody Studios has attracted so many amazing people. We've, like, we've such a great group of folks. But I think one of the unifying forces is people have such broad interest areas. And it's actually a place where it's welcomed and it's encouraged in a way. 
you get to look across this fantastic portfolio of there's healthcare companies, there's e-commerce companies, there's travel and tourism type companies, there's some Web3 stuff going on. Like you really a, a very broad palette, if you will, to be exposed to and then also to dive into it and build, right? Like to see problems and go, okay, that's somewhere where I can sort of affect and contribute and make even better. But there's one area that you've actually dived into a little bit. Obviously, probably at the moment, one of the hottest topics, I think like there's always these inflection curves. Initially, when a technology comes on, there's a promise of what it could be. Everyone's like, oh, it's a trough of disillusionment. But then something magic happens where a new way people can either interact with that technology or interfaces are created to make it easier to use. It gets to a broader audience. We're sort of in that world, I feel now, with artificial intelligence and most specifically large learning models. So share a little bit about what struck you literally, probably whatever it is, eight, nine months ago. Yeah, absolutely. I had experimented a bit with some of the earlier GPT models for some other projects. I had a personalized sort of horoscope for dog owners at one point that I was working on with somebody and we were using like an early version of GPT to train or to personalize these responses. But when ChatGPT came out, what I realized immediately was that this thing doesn't get tired. I can be challenged continuously. And generally, I like to ask a lot of questions, but I censor those questions a lot of the times or I hold them back in conversations with people because I realized that that process of praxis can get exhausting for the other person, but it didn't get tired. And I could keep asking it more questions and saying, no, not like that. Like, what do you mean by that? Clarify that. Tell me more. You know, these kinds of things that it just wouldn't get tired. And, and then I realized that you could build that kind of tirelessness and familiarity because by the end of the chat, it knows the problems that you've been interacting with it on. So I, I said, you could build that familiarity and that tirelessness into products. Obviously the earliest applications were more of the automating rote human behavior type work, prospecting, initial sales outreach type work. I built a couple of applications for that, for the studio as well, just fun little projects. But what I started to realize was that you could put personalities on and you could just tell it to behave and to assume a personality as it communicates with you. I was really fascinated about this idea of Hemingway and Socrates walking into a bar and having a conversation about football and what that might look like. And I thought, as I was talking to a couple of my friends about ChatGPT, one of them had a cat cross the screen. And I thought, well, cat GPT kind of sounds like chat GPT. And wouldn't it be something if you had an LLM chatbot that responded like a sassy cat? And not only that, but you combined it with a little bit more in the way of interface visual interaction. So you attach, of course, why not cat gifts to this sassy cat response. And so I spent a couple of days building out just like a really basic version of this thing called cat GPT and launched it out there. Didn't really think too much about it. Sent it around a couple of friends, laughed, sent it to a couple of friends. Uh, a couple of months later, one of my friends sent me a video on TikTok. It was some 500 follower account taking a video of CatGPT and goes, guys, you won't believe it. This is a thing. This is CatGPT. It just went viral after that. It's been on Business Insider. 
Tom's Guide, a bunch of other publications. We've gotten over a million users now. It took off. And then what we really realized bringing it to the studio was that people love this personality-driven interaction and it's not going to stop. It's going to continue on until you have like the Star Wars type of era where you have C-3PO and R2-D2 walking around and they're made by different manufacturers, but they're interacting with each other. You're interacting with both of them. You have familiarity with each of them and it sort of augments your relationship and relationship building. And so since then, we've been really thinking about pushing the boundaries on what that personality-driven AI interaction looks like, mainly because it's fun. And AI right now can be scary. So ChatGPT and a lot of these other personalities can make it more approachable. And if you have someone like a cat helping you out, why not? Yeah, it's been absolutely phenomenal to watch and really enjoyable as well to see something like that just take hold and take a life of its own. You know, you're very humble about this, but we're literally talking like millions of people interacting with this product, getting joy from it, playing with it. And then all the other interesting things about just having this sort of, as you say, like a anecdotal little vision of talking to one of your friends, seeing a cat walk across the video screen, and then suddenly very quickly launching a whole product in that space to see what happens. And as you say, millions of people use it. You've got to go to CatCon, the world's largest cat conference in Los Angeles, and exhibit there. You know, you've had lots of cat influencers want to be part of your world now. It's amazing to see the sort of effect. It takes on, as you say, a life of its own. And that's exciting, right? It's fun, and it makes the technology less scary, but very accessible. There's a lot of smarts in there that maybe sometimes people don't realize, like the intentionality behind these things when you put them out there. But you're continuing to just keep doing it. So you've got like a whole suite of other ideas now that you're playing around with in that space. So share a little bit, some more things that you're sort of like trying out and what's fun and learning from doing that. Yeah. So, you, you know, you go down the natural path of what can be animated. Wouldn't people want more of, and generally that line of fun, because I think that's a big difference between, you know, like we'll say the NFT craze and this AI craze is that. There's a lot of opportunity for people to have a lot of fun without spending anything. You can go on ChatGPT on your own and have some fun. ChatGPT, for sure. You can go on for free and talk to a cat and enjoy, unwind, and learn something along the way and interact with something that's just uber intelligent. And so we're thinking about what else can be that way. Santa GPT is about to come out where kids can interact with Santa, a live video feed, and talk to Santa about what they would like. And Santa will send a Christmas list specifically curated to their parents and to their family members about what they can get in response to this kid who just had this incredibly personalized interaction, a digital interaction with Santa. And then, of course, we're thinking about how you build tools for people who want to personalize their own AI models or their own channels and introduce some more like personalized, but also very trigger-based interactions, so sort of combining a more traditional chatbot with the power of, of LLMs. But as we're thinking about it, that fun element is really, really important. It's starting with the why, the feeling behind it, and then working backwards from there. It's great to hear, again, that you keep applying this method everywhere in these different domains. And 
it's helping you get the breakthroughs that you're aiming for. So if you were sort of just to reflect on that as well, like as you're digging deeper and deeper into your entrepreneurial journey, what have been some of those things that you've had to unlearn that maybe are a little bit different than what maybe your professional sporting career or so forth? Like what are some of those things or even for folks when they start to embrace these technologies, what should they be thinking about? Maybe things to fear that might be holding them back or things that they should unlearn and just try. Two big things jump out of my mind on what things I've had to unlearn, what I would suggest people can unlearn as they approach the space. One of them really is pole vaulting was a very immediate sport. Trampoline was very immediate. Routine lasted 15 to 20 seconds. A vault from run up to finish is probably around the same. So there's like a, a big, big climactic moments. And over the course of entrepreneurship, it's a slow grind, but with a lot of action in the meantime. So you have a lot of time to sit with the feelings that you have. And with the vault, you have the feeling for a second, the outcome is the outcome, and then you're done. And then you place whatever sort of podium level you're at. But with entrepreneurship, it's a long grind. And so I'm learning that there's some sort of like big achievement moment that can happen and that it's less about the big achievement moment that you're shooting for and more about the general effectiveness or workability of this thing that you're trying to build and bring out into the world. It's like the impact that you make is not personal. You see it in the world and that takes time. That's one of the things I've had to unlearn is the immediacy of results. The super insights. So, so, so good. I've even written that down for myself as well, because it's such a important reminder, as you say, like in the sporting world where you have a very explicit routine that you're performing and it's done, it's graded, it's set back, you get your, not instant, but the gratification loop is very tight and done. But entrepreneurship, as you say, it's like this daily grind. It's almost like a vocation in some respect that every day I'm still going to get up there and try and get better, much like as a professional athlete. But it's often harder to tie the moments of when you take an action and the effect it has and its accumulation of so many effects over time, like positive and negative. What about your other one? This is, these are great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the first one definitely is that you know, accumulation over time and you have to have repetitive processes over those days rather than process in a single moment like in sport. And then the second one would be that kind of bringing something out of your imagination and putting it out into reality. There's some magic that happens when you can train in the backwoods if you want to, but the more that you compete, the more that you actually put something, your product in front of you, the more you learn. And that's particularly true with startups and entrepreneurship. A lot of people they either have a hard time letting go of this idea that they have to have the idea perfect, this item or product perfect before they put it in front of people, or they feel like, yeah, they just have to continue perfecting it like it's not ready. So this really powerful impulse is to hold on to it, or they feel like they have to hold on to it before they put it out in front of people. But what they lose by doing that is the iterative process, that day-to-day -day grind. You're not looking for the one big moment of explosive growth, even though that happened with GPT, And of course you want that you're shooting for it as you build stuff, but you should one, just try to get things, whatever it is, that idea in your head out in front of people. So you can start the feedback loop. That's so honest and real. And then two, you'll learn how important it is to bring an idea out of your imagination 
and present it and articulate it in a way, whether that's through design or whether that's through some kind of a pitch deck or even just through how you tell the story about it, the more you say these things or articulate it through some medium, the more people are able to grasp onto it and then they can get behind it and you'll get better at telling the story. So that's something I had to unlearn. I, I thought something had to be perfect at the very beginning of my career before I could show it to people or even tell people about it. And then now it's like, I'll throw something out in a day. And if it flops, it flops. And I'm like, great, I'm glad I put it out in a day. I didn't hold on to that for a year. Another awesome insight. There's a huge amount for me, and maybe this is a poor analogy or not, but getting into the arena is a really important thing. Whether, as you say, in competition world, you got to put yourself in the competition to like find out where are you at ultimately compared to like where are you really at? And the same with products as well. Like if you never put yourself and the product out into the world, you're never going to know. It's funny as I think about you like running to Povo moment and you're like the moment before the moment of going live or you're going to do this jump. There's always anxieties. There's always vulnerability and fear, but it's pushing through those things. If you keep practicing it as you obviously have, is like not to fear putting things out into the world. That's the beginning of the journey. That's where people can start to see it, interact with it, use it in ways you didn't anticipate. Maybe you did and improve it. Holding on to it, never making the attempt, never putting it out there. You cannot learn that way. I think it's super insight too as well. So looking forward then, Adam, what are you most excited about? There's like lots going on, you know, in the studio, in your experiences at building things there, like what's lighting you up at the moment that you want to share with people? Yeah. I mean, I think people are building really fast and the speed of development and the speed of articulation of ideas is coming out super, super fast. And with tools like ThoughtForma, intelligent no-code platform that we're building here at the studio, people who have never built anything can build a technology product and take it out of their mind and help people, whether that's a local library or a hundred million people on some kind of a social network. And so what I'm really excited about is this combination of human creativity, the speed of development with technology and the ability to distribute faster than ever and reach and build communities. Our CTO, he introduced this concept to me of an activity network. It's less like a social network where people just sort of happen to be around each other online in a digital space and this activity network of more like you are a group of people doing the same type of thing. And that's why you pool together. I realized that narrative has been true across all of the things I've been involved in. I've always tried to pool people together based on the kinds of activities they were doing, whether that's the you experience with organizing online learners or any of the other projects with like cat GPT, you are all lovers of cats and technology. And so trying to see where that intersection goes of accelerating tightly knit activity networks into doing things that organize themselves into physical and digital space, I think is a really exciting time to be building and even thinking about building. And so that idea of just launch, we have that saying at the studio, you know, you're in the launch phase now. Welcome to launch. Time to launch. It's, you're launching now. <laughs> <laughs> Rule number one, everybody launches today. So that's the idea is like, get it out of your mind because without that real honest feedback, you can't correct 
the kinds of approaches and learnings that you've had before that got you there to where you're going to go the next day because that speed has to happen fast. I think that unlearning cycle is happening faster and faster than ever. Super. Adam, it's been fantastic to have you on the show. There's no doubt, I'm sure we'll have you back again in the future. Thanks for sharing all your lessons throughout your journey. I know there's more ahead. It's a pleasure to be on it with you now as well and having fun in the studio. So thanks for joining us and encourage people uh, check you out LinkedIn. We'll put all the notes in there for people to stay in touch and go have a play on CatGVT or SantaGVT, whatever tickles your fancy. Thanks, Barry. Appreciate it. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that show, but I'm even more delighted to share the exciting news. I've recently co-founded a new venture studio named Nobody Studios. Now, Venture Studio is a vehicle for the rapid creation of new companies from ideation to acceleration and growth. And our purpose at Nobody Studios will be to de-risk pre-seed stage business ideas. We'll do this by minimizing the time, speed and capital involved in validating truly repeatable and scalable business models before any significant venture investment. We've an audacious goal to start 100 compelling companies over the next five years, and who knows how many beyond that. So if you're interested in radically changing the way work is done, how products are created, companies built and funded, even democratizing the wealth creation and how returns are distributed, this could be the business for you. We're looking for talent, capital, and influence. If you wish to contribute any or all of these, just get in touch. You can follow us on nobodystudios.com, on our LinkedIn page, all the social media accounts, or simply my newsletters and what I'm sharing. We'll be launching a truly innovative crowdfunding campaign, and I'd be honored if you'd be willing to join us on this journey and become a nobody yourself.